You're listening to the Hollyview Podcast, a message from Hollyview Church in Damascus, Oregon. We hope this message encourages and challenges you in your daily walk with Christ, but doesn't replace the importance of gathering together each week with a local community of people that follow Jesus. It's together that we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast. If you've been here, I'll just catch some of you up. We've been in a series in 1 Samuel. Uh, We're up to chapter 14 now. Last week we looked at anatomy of fear in chapters 12 and 13. And we saw that fear, what some of the stuff it does inside of you, it it exaggerates reality so that you don't see exactly uh, very clearly. It leads to this desperation or this grabbing for things, trying to get control because you feel out of control. And the last thing we saw, it makes you a victim of your circumstances. And we saw that in the, in the lives of uh, Saul and the Israelites uh, as they are faced with this mighty army of the Philistines that are just huge army. Now, last week we saw the anatomy of fear, and this week we're going to do the exact opposite side of that, and the anatomy of, of faith. Now, faith is such a, like, it's just a, a word, like a theoretical word that we often maybe not even know what it, what it means, or maybe you have a different kind of even definition for Uh, what faith is. So I want to give you a working definition of of what faith is as we start this morning so that you'll you'll have something in, in mind as we talk about what the anatomy of faith. Faith is thoughtful movement into uncertain results in response to a loving God. It's thoughtful movement. It's engaging your mind, but it's also in action it's into uncertain results where you don't know what's going what's to end up happening. And biblical faith is always in response to a loving God. Uh, it, it's not for even your own good. So I'd like to begin uh, this morning by reading uh, just a verse in 1 Samuel 14. Uh, it's 1 Samuel 14. If you want to grab those, even the pew Bibles next to you, it's in page 221. Um, 221. And uh, if I can ask if you could stand with me as I read. I'm just going to read from verse 6. 1 Samuel 14 and verse 6. Jonathan said to the young men who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrisons to those uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving us by many or or by few. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at what faith is today, would you uh, grant that gift to all of us, that we would walk by faith, that would be thoughtful movement into uncertain results in response to your calling on each one of our lives, that we would take just that next step and say, Lord, where do you want to go now? We would follow the example of uh, Jonathan in our story today. So, Lord, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear what you'd have for us, and soften our hearts so that we can understand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can have a seat. Before we begin, I want to tell you a little bit about what faith has done in my life. When I was a kid, my parents had two big bookshelves in their little study room, full of books, lots of ancient books. I don't know how many they read, or as kids, we didn't read books at all. I didn't like reading books. Uh, until I was about 19 years old in college, and then I started appreciating the discipline of reading reading books. So I would pick up some of those books from their shelves that had actually been sitting there for years of my life. And, and one of the books that I picked up was a guy, an autobiography of a guy named George Mueller. Uh, 
it wasn't long. It was only a few pages in, and I was, I was hooked on, on this guy's life. It, it, was, it was amazing. It, it, he lived about 200 years ago. He was born in Germany and then moved to England. Now, he, he, was not a, he was like a troublemaker guy. He actually ended up spending some time in jail because he stayed in a hotel and ended up skipping uh, on the bill, and they caught him and threw him in jail for a bit. He, was just, he just did lots of uh, troubling things. Uh, one time, he was invited to go to a Bible study, and he took up the offer on it because thinking, I'm going to go and make fun of all these Christians. Uh, he went to the Bible study, and, and during that Bible study, some, something changed in his heart as he heard about the love of Jesus. Well, uh, from then, the next few years, he was wrestling with his relationship with the Lord and, and finally gave his life over to Jesus and, and very firmly committed, I want to do everything that the Bible says. I, I want to be a follower of what the Word says. And one of the first things that he did is he went to a Bible school and became a pastor. He was a pastor at a young age in England. Uh, and, and his commitment to follow what the Word uh, said led him to this first, like, very uh, courageous decision. Now, in England during that time, they had something called a pew tax. So depending on how close to the front you would want to sit, you would pay uh, a rental fee for that pew. Uh, he read the Bible and said, this is not right. This is not what the Bible talks about at all. And so he did away with the pew tax uh, at 24 years of age. And all these other people were asking him, well, how are you going to get paid? If you don't have pew taxes, no one's going to pay your salary. And he said, well, I'll just put a box in the back. And if people uh, feel the need to give, they can give that way. And the Lord, the Lord took care of him uh, in that as well. Uh, he was a courageous young man. He lived a, a lot by, by faith. Those little steps of faith then then led to another step of faith as he saw all these orphans in the streets of England and, and felt the Lord leading him to open an orphanage. Uh, he didn't have the money, he didn't have the place, but God continually provided for him. Where, where he had a house for a few orphans and then uh, he got another house until they actually had like five huge dormitories for orphans. And all of it led by faith. He didn't tell anyone about things, he just committed himself to, to pray and to live by faith. Uh, he wrote in his autobiography about this story that I, I still remember to this day, and I read it as a 19-year-old. They said they were hungry, they had no food, they had run out of money, and here were all these children. Uh, they got ready for the day for, for school, and they stood around the tables in the morning with no food on the tables, and he had everyone stand up, and they thanked the Lord for the provisions that he had provided for him with nothing on the table. And when he said amen, there was a knock on the door. And the baker had come. He said, I don't know what it is. The Lord woke me up at 2 o'clock this morning, and I've been baking all morning thinking, oh, I'm going to give this to the orphans that day. And so all the orphans had, had bread to eat. And it wasn't, but a few minutes later, the door knocked again, and it was the milkman. His cart had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he knew the milk was going to go bad unless he just uh, gave it away. So he says, here, I'm just giving this milk to all the orphanage, no, to all the orphans. And so that day, the Lord provided for him in amazing ways. And there's story after story of George Mueller as he walked by faith. But Mueller, when he decided to live by faith, it also motivated a lot of other people that you probably uh, might even recognize. There was a guy named Hudson Taylor. Uh, Hudson Taylor was uh, one of the 
just the biggest influences on Asia, on, on China. He went over there as a missionary, gave his life over there. But he even reflected back on Mueller was his greatest supporter and greatest encourager along the way, as he would write him letters and, and support him even through the difficult times. And so through Mueller's faith, uh, Hudson had changed China, changed Asia. Also, there was another man named Charles Dickens, uh, who you might know. He's a famous uh, author. He's written a, a ton of books. He came and visited the orphanage and saw Mueller's faith, and it so changed Dickens that it shaped the way he even wrote. And if you've read any of Dickens' things, he writes a lot of orphanage, like orphans, doesn't he? But because it's his influence of George Mueller and the faith that Mueller had. And I would say even that reading that book for me as a 19-year-old kid changed something in me. It motivated me. I mean, it wasn't the only thing, but it helped shape who I was as, as I wanted to go out in the mission field then and to become a pastor today. And, and I think maybe, just maybe, if God can use George Mueller, maybe he can use me. And just maybe, if he can use me, then he can use you as well because he calls all of us to live by faith. So as we come back to our text today, we're going to see another example like Mueller, but this is in the, uh, the person of Jonathan. As Jonathan walks by faith. And we'll see this anatomy of faith today. Anatomy of faith. It's thoughtful movement into uncertain results in response to a loving God. So let's see this, how this works out in our text today. We're going to actually see four observations of an anatomy of faith. Uh, let's begin with the first one. Faith moves in thoughtful action. Faith moves in thoughtful action. Starting in verse 1. One day Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young men who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Verse 2. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Geba, in the pomegranate cave at Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. The ephod was the dress of the priests that day. Uh, now those names are very foreign to us, but if you've been tracking along the story of 1 Samuel and you hear those names, you're thinking, oh no, those are bad. Uh, Ichabod means Ichavod, the, the glory has left. He was the son uh, of the son of Eli, those bad and wicked men, now the grandson of those bad and wicked men are now serving as priests before Saul. And we're thinking, oh no, this is, this is, this is not a good thing. This, this can't be good. Continuing on, middle of verse 3. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. The one crag on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, 
wait until we come to you. Then we will stand still in our place and we will not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be the sign to us. This army of the Philistines. Uh, last week we, we had seen them. We spent a whole chapter talking about how vast and big this army was and how many chariots and horses they have. This huge army that left all the Israelites trembling and Saul trembling as well. But it seems that Jonathan could care less about that, doesn't it? He, he, he's like, uh, hey, what if we go and climb that cliff over there? Just, just me and you. Uh, maybe, just maybe God would give us victory. Can you imagine being that servant? Uh, that sounds crazy. What? Just me and you? Against all those people? He said, well, just maybe. But Jonathan isn't foolish. He's not ignorant. He's, he's engaged his mind to say, well, let, let's see. Maybe the Lord has this victory. Uh, maybe. Let's just climb this, this cliff, this crag, and, and then let's see what, what the Lord does. Uh, maybe it'll, it'll be that we have some victory through the Lord, and maybe, maybe not, and maybe we'll just stay right there. He, it's thoughtful movement, thoughtful engagement. It, now, it's not just thoughtful. He doesn't just sit there and go, well, the Lord can save if he wants to, and he has to make it abundantly clear before I get out of my nice fort here. And, and it's not just movements for movement's sake, like, let's just go and get him attack. Like, it's thoughtful action, thoughtful movement. You know, I've heard so many people, uh, Christians, say, well, I'm just waiting on the Lord. I'm just, I'm just waiting. And when in reality, I think a lot of the times it's just fear. Uh, I don't want to take that next step because I don't know, what, I don't know what's around that next corner. I, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I can do it. I'm just going to wait here until the Lord makes it abundantly clear. And, and uh, as soon as he makes it clear and then I feel safe, then I'll take that first, first step. Well, that's not Jonathan at all. He takes that first step out. Maybe, just, just, just maybe. And he doesn't keep it to himself. He actually talks to somebody about it. What do you think about this? And he's like, if God's with you, then I'm with you too, heart and soul. It's not just foolish, impetuous movement, and it's not just thoughtfulness, like I know a lot of stuff. It's thoughtful movement. It's scary to take that first step. But I think faith... Faith is not static, and it's not passive. See, at least in my experience, and what I've heard from very many other people, is God often directs and confirms and moves and stops as you're moving. As you take that step of faith out, God says, yep, that's where I want you to go. Or wait a minute, I want to turn you this way or the other way. And how often do we as believers just go, nope, until the Lord makes it abundantly clear and I have insurance policy on it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out. But, but that's not Jonathan here. Jonathan's not passive and he's not arrogant. He's moving by faith and thoughtful movement into uncertain results. He doesn't know what's coming. Well, that first step, it actually might be the hardest as you leave the security and comfort and control, as he's stepping into uh, uncertain Results. And that leads us to our second point. Point number two. Faith begins where certainty ends. Faith begins where certainty ends. Let's, let's read the story. Verse 11. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, 
Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. Verse 12. And the men of the garrisons hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we'll show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, a half a furrow's length, which is about a point, uh, it's like a tenth of a mile in an acre of land. Verse 15. And there was a panic in the camp in the field, and among all the people, the garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a great panic. Two guys scale this cliff and end up killing uh, 20 guys in this short area, uh, and all of a sudden, things start shaking and trembling. Uh, there's chaos. There's fear striking the raiders and the army of the Philistines. The exact same fear that had struck the Israelites just last chapter. Do you remember? And now, and now the Philistines are shaking, and so they begin to exaggerate reality. They're not seeing things clearly. They become desperate. They become victims in their own fort as well. Now, as Jonathan and his armor bearer go and climb that cliff, and uh, they think, well, okay, the Lord wants us to do this next step, uh, they have no way of knowing what the next move is going to be. It's thoughtful movement, but it's into uncertain results. And they could have been killed or captured or tortured. They didn't know. There was only two of them. In the last chapter, we find out that only one of them has a sword. So as you picture this thing, here's, here's Jonathan climbing this scale to this army with no sword whatsoever. He's got his armor bearer climbing after him with the sword. And Jonathan, he must have like gone up and like tackled him and thrown him down, and the armor bearer is uh, killing him with the sword. And as they do this, one after the other, all, all of a sudden the next thing they, they see is just chaos throughout the camp. It's like the whole earth was shaking. And can you imagine the look of Jonathan and his servant then? What? They're like, this is nuts. Uh, we had no idea. How am I supposed to kill thousands of people? But there was thoughtful movement into uncertain results. And the outcome of that faith, the outcome of any faith, where, where your thoughtful movement into uncertain results and response to the loving God, that kind of faith produces things larger than what you can uh, attribute to your efforts or skills. You do a little and God does a lot. I think uh, that's a challenge for us, especially as Americans. Uh, if, if our lives look like the effort that we put into them, we can equate it back and forth, uh, then it might just be us, and we're not living by faith. Um, as a church, our impact in this community and our impact in this world, if we can just trace it back to how good we are, our education, our money, our skills, and go, well, yeah, that makes sense because look at there, uh, then, then maybe we're not walking by faith like we should. Now, God uses all those things, but often as we walk into faith, you, you see that God does something even greater than you can attribute to yourself. See, faith begins where certainty ends. Here's the third observation of anatomy of faith. 
Number three, faith motivates others to action. Faith motivates others to action. As they see you walk in faith, it, it elicits this courage and this faith in other people as well. And it doesn't matter how old you are or young you are, stepping out, I want to be baptized. And what does that do for all of us? It encourages us in our faith to join that journey. That's just like George Mueller's faith did with mine and so many other people along the way that live by faith have encouraged me. It's like this candle that they've lit in me that, oh, I want to live by faith too. Look at 1 Samuel 14 and then verse 16. We'll see how the faith of Jonathan, it motivates just whole group of people to take action beside him. 1 Samuel 14 and verse 16. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who has gone from us. Because remember, he hadn't told his dad where he was going. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Hijah, Bring the ark of God here. For, for the ark of God went at this time with the people of Israel. So he's going to inquire of the Lord. Hey, Lord, what should we do? Verse 19. Now while Saul was talking to the priests, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Ah, forget it. Things are going really good. We don't need the Lord. Verse 20. Then Saul and all the people who were with him, rallied and went into battle. And behold, every Philistine's sword was against his fellow. And there was a great confusion. Now the Hebrews, who had been with the Philistines before that time, who had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites, who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel, who had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Bethaven. The faith of two guys who step into something that, I don't know how this is going to end up working out, ends up mustering all this courage and faith of all these people. People that had uh, they'd gone over to the Philistine side. Ah, the Israelites are losing, we'll be with the Philistines. The people that had hidden themselves in the caves and were just afraid. The people that had gone far away. All those people are like, maybe, just maybe. The Lord would give us victory, all because of the faith of these two guys. And you never know how your journey of faith will light the candle for the next person. How your obedience, your, your walk and your step with the Lord, what it does to other people around you. As a father, what does it do to your children? What does it do to, to your grandchildren who aren't even born yet? What is your legacy of faith to them? You moms in the, in the neighborhood, as you impact and, and impact the children around you and the neighborhoods around you, you, you don't know what that little step of faith and going, ah, this is what I'm called to do. I'm going to step out in, in faith and, and do this, what that does for other people. Uh, grandparents, you have such a huge influence and example of what it means to live by faith, even in your old age. Faith is thoughtful movement into uncertain results that has this huge impact on the community around you. Now look, this will be the final, uh, final observation. Biblical faith, uh, faith that's rooted in the Bible, is always in response to a loving God. 
It's not just, oh, I really want this nice car, so I'm going to step out in faith to get this nice car or a better job or all these things. Uh, faith is not about that at all. It's always in response to a loving God. So here's the fourth point. Faith builds God's kingdom, not your own. That's how you'll know if it's true faith. If it's about you and your glory, uh, that's not God saying yes. Uh, we'll see the negative example of this in the person of Saul. From here to the end of the chapter, I'm just going to summarize uh, summarize it. You see, um, Jonathan and his armor bearer have gone in. There's chaos in the camp. They're starting to win. They see it. People are coming out from all over the place. They're like, man, we're winning this thing. And Saul goes, uh, okay, grab that thing. No, never mind. We don't need it. Let's go. Let's go in to battle. And he begins to lead. But you're going to see that his leadership is only about his own kingdom. It's on, on the back of his son's faith, but he takes it uh, and he distorts it. First Samuel 14 and verse 24 says, And the men of Israel had been hard-pressed that day. So Saul, so Saul had laid an oath on the people, saying, Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening. Excuse me. And I am avenged on my enemies. So none of the people had tasted food. So they're winning this, this battle by faith. As the Lord's moving, and Saul sees it and goes, Okay, now the people are starting to get tired, so, so now I'm going to... Uh, I, I want the victory here, so I'm going to put something on them. Look in verse 24. It says, I, until I am avenged on my enemies. All of a sudden, Paul, or Saul takes this really personally. This is all about me and my victory. So he says, uh, I'm not going to lead by faith. I'm going to lead by fear. So until you finish the job, you may not eat. If you want to eat, finish the job. He, now, he doesn't go off into battle. He's not fighting himself, but this son Jonathan is. Who's, who's walking by faith. And Jonathan is exhausted as he's fighting all day long. And so they get to this point where there's like this honey in the ground. And so Jonathan dips his little staff in the honey and puts it up to his mouth and tastes it. Because you can imagine, after you've played a sports game or something, you just want a Gatorade to drink or something to kind of replenish you. And that's where Jonathan's at. He's exhausted. He's been fighting. Uh, and he reaches down and touches the honey and his eyes become light. He's like, oh, I can do this. Uh, and someone says, oh, you know, you're not supposed to do that. Y your dad said you're not allowed to eat anything. And he's like, oh, that's crushing. That's leadership that just, that, that's, it's not leading by faith. It's leading by fear. And it just crushes the people. Well, they keep on fighting the rest of the day, and they end up beating the Philistines, and they have all this plunder around them. But the people are so hungry that they're actually grabbing the sheep and the cattle and all that stuff, and they're just ripping into it, eating these animals, even with the blood in it. So now we've gone from uh, a command from uh, Saul to now a command from the Lord. So in Leviticus, it says, you shall never eat meat with the blood in it, because the blood's the life, and all life belongs to the Lord. So you shouldn't do that. So Saul goes, oh no, now we're in trouble again. Uh, so he builds this altar and he, and he uh, puts all the food on it to sacrifice it to the Lord so they can eat uh, right. And he says, okay, let's inquire of the Lord. Should we finish this task or not? And the Lord's just quiet. He doesn't answer. But it's very ironic as uh, before when they were going to inquire of the Lord to go into battle, uh, Saul just goes, ah, never mind. We don't need to hear from the Lord. He quieted the Lord and now the Lord is quiet towards, towards him. Well, he hears that someone in the army had actually broken his commandment and he ate something. And so they draw lots and the lots end up pointing out Jonathan, his own son. And Saul goes, great, well then I'll kill my own son. The guy who uh, had led by faith 
this whole revolution, he's willing to kill. This innocent son of the king, he's willing to kill. But all the people go, no, and they ransom him so that he doesn't do it. And, and, and Saul then, is, it's summarized at the end of the chapter, if you want to look. At the end of the last verse in the chapter, it summarizes Saul's reign as king. 1 Samuel 14 and verse 52 says, There was hard fighting against the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. You see, even till the very end, Saul had not understood the lesson of faith. It's not by might. It's not by many that you will win. It's by the few, and it's by faith. He hasn't, he hasn't learned the lesson yet. See, faith is not about getting things for yourself. If I just have faith, then I'll have an easier life or it'll be better. I'll, I'll get that new car. Faith is always in response to a loving God, so it's about building his kingdom. So if you jump, if you step in faith, make sure that it's in response to a loving God. Make sure it's in response to his calling. See, faith is thoughtful movement. It's engaging your mind. It's just not going, I don't even know and think about it. I'm just going to step. No, it's engaging your mind, but it's not passive. It's active. It's into uncertain results. I don't know how this is going to play out, but I'm going to walk with the Lord. And he's going to direct or confirm or, or redirect me. Uh, Jonathan didn't know how this was going to end. In fact, the Lord didn't say, Jonathan, I want you to go to the other side. Jonathan says, maybe, just maybe the Lord would work. Let's see. And God says, yeah, keep going. Keep walking by, keep walking by faith. See, faith doesn't grab it for yourself or manipulate with fear. It doesn't build your own kingdom. It always in response to the Spirit's leading. You know that book uh, on George Mueller? Uh, he wrote a little, a little section on there reflecting on his own life and uh, what he learned along the way. He wasn't always, always perfect, but he learned uh, some principles of living by faith. I'm going to offer those to you at the end here. He offered these principles. He says, if one wants to truly live by faith in God, here's the four things that he must be willing to do. Number one, they must be willing to not merely say they want to live by faith, but to do so. Not merely say, oh yeah, I'm a person of faith, but actually have that play out in their life as they take thoughtful movements forward. Number two, they must be willing to be content whether rich or poor. As he reflected over that table and said, thank you, Lord, for your provisions, it was a genuine thankfulness. Lord, you haven't provided anything today, and that's your provision, and I'm okay with it. And then God provided. Number three, they must be willing to receive whatever the Lord gives in the manner in which he provides. They have to receive whatever the Lord gives in the manner in which he provides. And it may not always be like what you, you thought or imagined or anticipated, but to be thankful and willing. Okay, Lord, you're giving me this much now, or, or you're giving me this. Uh, I have to teach in a, a school uh, in the, the nursery, like no longer in the school, but in the nursery in this white church. Okay, Lord, I'll take that. And see what the Lord does with that. And then the fourth one is be willing to live as the Lord's steward. It's not all about you. It's about you taking it and giving it back uh, to other people as you are a steward of the Lord. You know, faith is a journey that we are called to live every day. To ask the Lord to move and direct as, as we are thoughtfully engaging in the world around us. To step in thoughtful prayer and be humble as the Lord moves and confirms in us. So let me ask you this at the end. What's the Lord calling you to do? 
what, what person is he saying, I want you uh, to talk to them? Uh, what's he leading you to do in your, in your step in your uh, education or your career or, or, or what church you're a part of or, or how are you going to minister or be involved? Uh, maybe there are people here that are going to see all these baptisms and go, you know, I've never been baptized. And maybe that's your next step of faith. See, the journey of faith, it actually leads right through the waters of baptism. It's, it's the example of it, right? You're giving up your life. Okay, Lord, uh, I'm letting go, and I'm being buried with you in your death and raised to new life. And that can be your story today as well. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it is um, powerful. 3,000 years ago, these were written, and yet fear and faith is so prevalent in our world today, uh, and the the struggles for each of them. As we live in a world that uh, wants to motivate by fear and manipulation, Lord, help us to be people who thoughtfully engage, who, who aren't stuck uh, being passive, but, but are moving forward, Lord, but not in arrogance or uh, being rude, but in humility and listening to your spirit as it uh, guides and directs. That even though we don't know how the outcome is going to be, Lord, we, know, uh, we do know the outcome of it all. And that you have won, you have beaten death. You've taken our sin and shame and nailed them on the cross. And Lord, given us freedom and invited us into that story today to receive your, your love. So Lord, I pray that we would be uh, a people who follow hard after you. Who thoughtfully engage into uncertain results in response to you, who love us so much and want the best for us. And Lord, as we celebrate baptism now in the next few moments, uh, Lord, would it be a time that we could all reflect on when we gave our life to you. Lord, when we joined that story of, of faith that has been uh, written so long ago and continues to be written now, that we would, we would live our lives by faith. Faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Hollyview Podcast. Please join us for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. We're located on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off Highway 212 in Damascus, Oregon. And you can find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast.